Welcome, Dr. James Beckett, Sports Card Insights, here with Chris Harris, Dale Gum. Rich Klein and I have talked about some set reviews from newer as well as older products, and we've occasionally grouped a, a couple sets together that made sense, but this is a first. Chris and I are going to talk about 91 through 95 Fleer Baseball. I'm interested to see how we're going to sharpen each other's understanding of that period of the hobby that was prolific in terms of production of cards and creativity. But first, thanks sponsors, Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication, Comsey.com, Burbank Sports Cards, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, Heritage Auctions, Upper Deck, Panini, and Tops. So welcome, Chris Harris, Stale Gum. Tell us why you want to talk about 91 through 95 Fleer. They're not terrible sets, but uh, some of them are not in great repute anymore from being overproduced. and well, That's why I'm here. And there's, some, and there's some sleepers in there. So tell us what you find attractive about that. 91 through 95 Fleer baseball. I assume you're talking right. about inserts, the parallels, anything. Yes. Okay. Yes. So hit me with the sales pitch of why that's an area that deserves further attention. I think we all have a bias for nostalgia that everything was better when we were younger. I look back and remember these sets as being in my formative years of collecting. I don't think nostalgia is what most people think when they think of those. Yeah. Do they? Well, I, I, I do. I guess I'm different your, then. Your age, maybe. Oh, it's an age thing. Yeah. 91 Fleer. I, I think this is a set that kind of gets a bum rap for a lot of people, mostly because they yellow. I, I can't remember who posted this on Twitter, but somebody actually redid 91 Fleer with white borders and with black borders. And it's really not that bad with black borders. It's actually good looking. But yeah, it, it's grossly overproduced. There's no good rookies in it. They did give us the provisions, which are really cool, especially like yes. Mark McGuire in front of the American flag or Bo Jackson with the gears in his wrist. Those were cool. So 91 Fleer, yeah, well, it's the, junk okay. wax. But before we but, get the provisions... They were really ahead of its time, wasn't it? And did yeah. Fleer, do you think Fleer understood what they had? Because that was a concept that was ahead of its time because they were too available, I think. But that was a real breakthrough. Yeah, I, I'm not so sure that they knew what they had. They did go out of business. They said. They, they maybe didn't know what they had in some of it because they, they had some real ups and downs through the 90s and into the 2000s. But, the, but what I'm trying to say is that 91, the provisions was a step in the right direction for Fleer. And uh, yes. and the other companies weren't doing that. And it really was a, a step toward more art cards. Okay. So let's fast forward to 92. Okay. All right. 92 Fleer is a set that for me defines an aesthetic of an era. And let me explain that. Because this year in Topps Heritage is going to be based on 72 Tops. And that design, the, the psychedelic tombstone design, fits in with the late 60s and early 70s aesthetic. The late 80s and early 90s in sports is what I like to call the teal era of sports. You had all these new expansion teams come out. San Jose Sharks wearing teal. You had baseball teams that rebranded as teal, like the Mariners. So are, like for a couple of years, the Detroit Pistons even wore teal. So 1992 Fleer with the teal borders, it's like a time capsule of that era for me. Or everyone in high school wanted a Charlotte Hornets jacket or a San Jose Sharks sweatshirt because they just looked cool. Okay. Are you saying it's nostalgic that you like teal? Or are you just because are yes. you liked it at that time? Because nowadays it's because I'm a Gen Xer. So it looks dated, 
to me. It looks you, it looks dated, but it looks like something from our youth. Appropriately dated. That's what appropriately. I that's cool because I think that's considered a negative by some people. But really, it, well, I just think it stands out. Let's put it like it does. The ninety ones with the yellow borders. Where'd they get that from? If they had been black borders, they'd be condition sensitive. They're you know, or white borders, same thing. And then the teal. Okay, I take your point on the teal. That's looking back, Charlotte Hornets, all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But I think the thing people remember 92 Fleer, of course, was the rookie sensations inserts. And you were there. I was there. This was really the first time that, at least with the Frank Thomas card, that you could take a brand new pack of cards and genuinely have a decent chance of pulling a valuable card out of a new pack of cards. And that was something pretty new in the hobby. Hold on. You didn't have a chance of pulling certain inserts unless it was a certain form of packaging. So you couldn't pull from a, a wax pack what you could pull from a cello pack, from a hobby pack versus a retail pack. Yeah. So that's the point I would make is that, that and I don't know that would be subject to just FLIR, but we're talking about this span of years is that whether it was hobby or retail started to matter because of what insert yeah, and different pack types. And that was and different insert. So the form of packaging where it was released, and tops had cello packs and wax packs in the old days, but this expression of these creative inserts, like you said, that are worthy of chase, but that you couldn't get that in every form of packaging. So Fleer, right. they were probably the first ones to do multiple per pack per box type inserts because you had a separate insert for wax packs a separate insert for rack packs exactly but But it was the jumbo packs that everybody wanted to chase after yeah and the other point i was going to make for the purpose of our the discussion here is that for some reason fleer even though they're they're in a competitive marketplace why did they not do case level inserts this period that you're talking about they had one per pack they had one per box they had some random but there was nothing outrageously tough other than maybe some of the autograph stuff. I, I think you have to remember in, in 92, inserts were a new thing. Yeah. And I think the card company still wanted people to actually have a realistic chance of well, pulling so. something out of a pack. It really wasn't until later on in the 90s that you started seeing one per box inserts, one per every third box inserts and case in inserts. Yeah, but and that was mainly Fleer. That's why I want to have this discussion with you because Fleer, they put their toe in the water with gold medallions. And then after a while, they think, hey, we can do platinum medallions. Now, when you look back in hindsight, the, the rare cards are what are really driving the, uh, the, the product sales. The best card you can get out of a pack is what people consider now. When you look back at the products of Fleer, like I said, cello packs and jumbo packs notwithstanding if you're just going to get a bunch more commons and baseball but some of those inserts were tougher yeah yeah Definitely tougher and parallels yeah so yeah. anyway 92 uh, fleer rookie sensations. Uh, the rookie sensations yeah the frank thomas was like the first time you can somewhat realistically pull a card that was worth a hundred dollars yeah. right out of a new pack but there was also players like jeff bagwell von rodriguez Juan Guzman was a thing in 1992, and these were like $20 to $25 cards right out of the pack. And I don't think we had ever seen that before in the hobby. It was a step. So that's kind of, re- one of another reason why I think it would be a little more prominent. It was foundational to, it was yeah. a stair step of uh, plateaus for moving toward what we have now. But like I said, it wasn't that well received. It, it was to some degree, but the chase was only for that product it, or for that particular ins- insert. 
in that form of packaging. Uh, yeah. But there were so many base cards that, that were produced to carry along with it. So what next? All right, 93, they went to two series because I think everybody else was going to two series. Silver design, bland, more inserts. That was a good thing. But again, not really a big rookie in this set either. Another thing about 93 Fleer is that, I'm not sure if you know this or not, but Ozzy Smith is not in the base set. You had to wait until the update set to get that one. So they messed up on that one. You know, when we're talking about Fleer here, 91 to 95, uh, that's five years of cards with a whole bunch of complicated inserts, most of which are not extremely valuable now. But here's my theory, because I was in touch with the company, is that I think they were more concerned about Ultra getting that rolling, and that uh, turned out to be the, their their better brand. And then they brought out Flair. And Flair, uh, I think, was their initiative in 93. I think as a company, they're they're looking at a portfolio as you move through the early 90s there instead of just Flair, then you got Ultra, then you got Flair. And so what do you think about that in, in response to 93 being blah for you? They put their best design people on the Flair. Yeah, because all the other trading card companies were making these premium brands like Stadium Club, Pinnacle studio leaf i think they felt the need to there was pressure from the, uh, the the leagues and the players associations with the guarantees and the yeah royalties and stuff like that so 94 is a particular favorite of yours i understand 94 is my jam it is awesome if you could copy and paste a product from that era and release it now the structure of 94 fleer is what i, I would hope it's never going to happen but in a perfect world this would be my product because it, it's got everything. It's It's got a nice design. Uh, it's comprehensive. It has all the players. There are no meaningless subsets. And you got an insert in every pack that year. And there were a lot of inserts to chase after. But the, here's the thing. All those inserts meant something. You had all-stars, league leaders, team leaders, provisions as an insert, rookie sensations. They were all... They were meaningful. They weren't contrived and, and uh, gratuitous. Okay. However, let me just interject here. 94 Fleer, is it not also noteworthy by the absence of any significant rookie? That's what people would think about now. Because I, I think nowadays they look at a product and they say, what's the best thing I can get out of a pack? Or what's the best card I can get in that product? And by that measure, which is a standard that was not applied in those days, uh, because people were excited, like you said, they have a set that's more comprehensive and all that. So. Yeah, 94 Fleer. Yeah, I think it's a good set. It's just it's not going to get respect because it doesn't have a, a ferocious rookie that would uh, drive the sales. And yet there's there's still plenty of them around there. Anything you want to say about 95? or is About the design, I, I think 95 Fleer is a set that's grown on me over the last couple years. It's one of those products that's become so bad that it's become good. Almost like an Ed Wood movie or a Wesley Willis album. Their tagline that year was different by design and they <laughs> went all out on the different. That's the case. I think that what you had, like I said, because Fleer was right on the verge of breakthroughs in 96, 97, 98. You know, that mm -hmm. 97, 98 is maybe the golden age of Fleer in terms of what is, is recognized there. But in 95, again, more of the same. It wasn't bad, but like I said, I think they were more concerned with Flair and Ultra than they were with their base brand. They regarded that as lower level. Even though I think it, it had merits, I think it, it was a lower price point. 
And I think they were putting their design emphasis for the most part in these other more premium brands. I think that's fair. Yeah. Okay. So last question. So just to sum it up, because again, these are available by factory sets. Many of them are, are easy to put together or found in sets. So they're not that hard to find. <laughs> so is is that part of the allure that, that you're, you can get a lot of bang for your buck? Yeah. And I think for someone of my age, they are look back at a time when the hobby was a little different, a little simpler, and a time when I think some of us wouldn't mind going back to. That's a good note to end on. Thanks, Chris Harris. Yeah. Now you brought Teal back into my collector consciousness <laughs> from back in the day and, and turned that into a positive. You're not going to be confused what it is when you see that color going through the dollar boxes. Like we say, <laughs> you know what you have when you... Not even sure you'd find those cards in dollar boxes. <laughs> uh, well, maybe some of the inserts perhaps, but yeah. you know, and I, I already have a lifetime supply of some of that stuff. So again, thanks, Chris Harris, Steel Gum. Be back again tomorrow with another episode. The man in the house.